And it was then that also side of looking at Masters of the Sun and saying, well, hey, what if we do a comic book, build it into an AR app, and then that AR app is actually a game, and that when you play the game, you own the NFTs. Like, this was Mm -hmm. 2018. So we were, like, talking about gaming and NFTs and world building and metaverse, like massive metaverse game building in 2018 with interoperability of how we would bring it from, you know, this lightweight AR game and your character that you could then carry over into a large sort of Grand Theft Auto game. And, you know, I was always sort of pushing us, let's get it right first on the smaller scale. You're listening to Lights, Camera, Crypto, the podcast exploring all things entertainment and Web3. I'm your host, Stephen Ladden. And this week, our guest is comic book writer and filmmaker B. Earl. In this episode, B. details his path through the entertainment industry, ultimately leading to working for Marvel uh, on some of its largest comic book franchises, Masters of the Sun and Deadly Neighborhood Spider-Man, to name a few. He also gives us more insight into working with his creative partner, Taboo of Black Eyed Peas, and how their storytelling process focuses on telling stories from underrepresented points of view. B also has an incredible background in tech, and that has proven in conjunction with his storytelling skill sets to be super valuable for a variety of Web3 clients, predominantly in the space of strategy and collectibles, which he advises an assortment of clients on, predominantly uh, Sideshow. Let's take a listen to this week's episode. Ben, welcome to the podcast. I am so excited to be here. Excited to have you. And growing up, did you always know that you wanted to be a comic book writer? Did you know you wanted to be a filmmaker? Was that part of your, uh, your, your desires as a youth or did that come later? Well, I mean, I always wanted to be a storyteller. I think that was kind of really born into my bones, I guess you could say. And and be an artist and a creative was always something that I, I really enjoyed ever since I was little. Um, I grew up without a TV, so we didn't really have that sort of constant uh, stimulation. So for me, it was uh, having to sort of create my own ideas, stories, um, and, and whatever, and playing with Legos and building you know, big adventures and GI Joe and, and toys. And, you know, so, I mean, it wasn't really, a, I, I, I always loved drawing and I, and I thought I was going to become a comic book artist at one point in my life. Um, and, you know, at 11, I was really just dreaming of, uh, of being a Marvel comic artist. I mean, that was around the time when I, I really discovered the X-Men and Jim Lee and Chris Claremont and, and all of those uh, incredible uh, writers and artists. And, uh, I, I was, I was just enamored by the storytelling in comics and it, it was very much connected to what I was loving as a kid was mythology. And I just read the Bible all the time. Like I had this, and it's not like we were being like, it wasn't like we were in a religious household. I just had this old Testament Bible that my grandfather had given me. And it was like a kid's one, you know? And, and I just, <laughs> thought the stories were awesome. They were just so adventurous and cool and exciting. So, you know, getting to know the Old Testament as a kid, I was like, these are awesome adventures. Um, And then reading comics was like, oh, well, this is a natural progression. You know, we've got Greek myths and Celtic tales and Italian fables, all these books I was reading. And, 
you know, that, that really sparked me when I started getting into comics. So it definitely was something that was in me. Um, I sort of got away from it, uh, as I went into music, I, I fell in love with making music and, uh, my, my dad, you know, is, is a painter and a sculptor and also was a songwriter and, you know, or is a songwriter. And, you know, on top of being a computer scientist and technical writer. And <laughs> so I think it's funny because I, I look at it and I go, wow, I am my father's son, um, sometimes for better or worse, but <laughs> as we all are, right? We all go through sure. those trials and tribulations. But it was music that really sort of put me on my trajectory to filmmaking because I wanted to uh, write music for film. And mm. that was really a big thing that I was thinking, you know, is going, oh, this is what I would love to do. And it was, I mean, this was the early 90s and I was really into like house, well, it wasn't even house, it was techno. It was just straight up electronica, you know, it was electronic music, right? And I had Rebirth and I had an old four track and I would just sit up in my, in my attic every day after school and just make weird sounds and music. Um, and then you know, just kind of segueing into really what sparked wanting to make movies was my mom had brought home a book, uh, J. Michael Straczynski's book on screenwriting. And I was probably around 15 or 16. And she got it for my sister because she thought my sister was going to be the writer of the family. And I was like the the musical, you know, weirdo upstairs hitting sure. digital play buttons. Um, but I read that book and, and it really inspired me. And I was also going through a, a sort of traumatic time uh, with my calculus teacher and uh, she I was always such a good student and she, all she wanted to do was fail us as, as, uh, as, as it was a weird it's a long that's a long roundabout story she just was an odd uh, anyway that but it inspired me to write a script that was very much like teaching Mrs. Tingle if you remember that where the teacher loses their their mind and then he holds all the kids hostage so that was my very first screenplay I wrote by hand <laughs> um, the whole thing and I still have it the whole thing is written you know uh, by hand. So that was the beginning. So there you go. That's a long roundabout. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So, so much to unpack. Well, yeah. just out of, out of curiosity, did you still, did you ever make the screenplay or has it forever been an unproduced forever unseen. Yeah. <laughs> um, forever unclean. Uh, you know, it's funny that that script was the thing that sort of, um, you know, sparked me, but it was interesting because it really, it made me realize that I was sort of destined to become a film editor, um, at least starting in my, <laughs> in my career, because I was always marrying music and visuals together, even mm -hmm. in my writing. Uh, so, you know, I didn't realize that was a big part of when you're editing the picture, you start throwing uh, different, you know, palettes and soundtracks and, and temp music and whatever. And that was something that, you know, for me, it was really such a big part of my storytelling was connecting visual and sonic together. So, um, that was, that was, uh, yeah, that was a fun time. Uh, but then I went to school for biochem and, uh, sort of threw away all my film dreams freshman year. <laughs> and, and how did, how did you become, how did you get on that path when you were so passionate about music and film and writing and all of those things? Well, I mean, going back to, you know, the, the father part, uh, my dad was like, I don't want you to be an artist. You'll forever struggle. It will be the hardest, you know, life and da, da, da. And he was like, 
pharmaceuticals are the way to go and go into biochem. And, and I was good at, you know, I was good enough at math, but I was, you know, I, I enjoyed science and I enjoyed chemistry and, but I always had this passion for poetry and I was like doing slam poetry that whole time and playing in bands and, you know, and I'm like, all right, I guess, fine, whatever, I'll listen to you. So I went to, uh, I went to college with a, as a biochem major and then, uh, my my Spanish like well he was my guidance counselor freshman year he was the Spanish professor uh, Dr Cameron Douglas I'm pretty sure that was his name I'll, I'll never forget him I'll never forget his face because I remember sitting in his office and and he said really what do you want to do with your life and I was like well honestly I'm so passionate about making movies and I feel like if I could just go and make a lot of money you know as a biochemist. Um, you know, and working in those, those fields, then maybe I can do movies as a side job. And he's like, why, why would you throw away the thing that you love? And why wouldn't you do the thing that you love? Like, why would you, you know? And, and so I said, well, how would I even go about that? And he said, look, this book just came out. It's Rebel Without a Crew. And he said, read this. Robert Rodriguez, Rebel Without a Crew. This is how he made a movie for next to nothing. Because, you know, I was like, how do I even get into Hollywood? How would I even start? Where would I go make a movie? What? You know, it's like every single question. Right. Um, so I read that book and I was just like really so inspired. And it made me change my major to, uh, well, the school didn't have a film major, so it was English. So I changed my major to English and, uh, you know, really focused in English and, and, and writing and, and history and not so much philosophy, though, that that came later in my life, but I was always interested in that. And uh, and then I basically took a bunch of my college money that my grandfather left me to go and buy a uh, Final Cut Pro editing software, which was Final Cut nice. 1, yeah. and, uh, and a little camera. And I just started shooting little movies. And, you know, like every young filmmaker, you know, we, we didn't have the iPhones back then. We didn't we weren't right. able to <laughs> the tech was very different. But, um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting because, you know, looking at it, like, you know, from this standpoint of, of tech, right. I mean, technology has really allowed sort of opportunities for artists and creatives to really embrace their passions without having to, you know, be at the mercy of a studio that has tons of money or whatever, you know, you don't even now it's, I mean, so much more now, I mean, you can record an entire song on your phone and yeah. put it out on SoundCloud and it can sound really good. I mean, that's incredible. So, so yeah, that was, that was my early years, man. So in many ways, then you, the inspiration comes from the book to get you to, you pursued, you listened to dad yeah. as, as, <laughs> as, as a kid. Dad. Yeah, but it's it's kind of that. This in itself, it sounds like your your journey is sort of poetic. So as a kid, you're you're following in your father's footsteps artistically, at least pursuing things. Right. He's he you know he's he's exercising that part of his mind, and you're seeing that, and you're absorbing that in your own way. And then you're also listening to dad when he says, you know, go <laughs> find, right. find, a, find a career that will pay the bills, basically. Right. And then then you end up ultimately listening to yourself, which then brings you closer to a career path that dad had, not to make this about you and your dad, but there's kind of, there's kind of I mean, you know? there absolutely is. And, and, you know, it really is so much about the father son sort of journey. I mean, you know, what does it mean to become a man in this day and age, you know, and that, that sort of ritual 
And, you know, whether you look at the religious ritual of it or bar mitzvah or a confirmation or, you know, whatever religious sort of ritual, um, you know, or that sort of moment where you are able to sort of take the onus on yourself and say, this is who I am and this is what I want. And this is the journey that I'm going to take. I mean, it's the fool's journey. I mean, it is the tarot deck, right? I mean, it's the zero card and that's the beginning. And you start on that journey as the fool and then you become the magician and move through to the empress and onward, you know, well, to the high priestess, then empress. And, you know, you begin that that journey, I mean, it's it's very poetic and it's what Jodorowsky, I mean, if we talk film, right? I mean, that's so much of his filmmaking follows the uh, the tarot journeys. And I mean, he even made his own tarot deck. I mean, I'm obsessed with tarot, by the way. Like, side note, I started reading when I was 11. I got my first wow. Rider Waite deck. So I, I don't know if you can see behind me, but I just have all these, all these tarot decks back there and yeah. Uh, awesome. Oracle deck. Yeah. I mean, I, I just look at it as like guidance for symbols. I mean, right. I mean, poetry is some symbols and, and metaphor and myth is the same. And it sort of really connects to uh, the journey that I've always been on was hmm. the myths and, and symbols of religious texts and everything you know, I, I sort of grew up on as a kid and then turned into reading comic books, which is, modern heroes modern you know uh, gods that we we look to and say that's that's what we're aspiring to those are the journeys that we aspire to and how we want to be and and how much of that call it early spirituality or Mm -hmm. or fascination with a higher power whatever you want to call it universe god stuff like that how much do you think that both allowed you to relate to like to see the connections from call it the biblical stories and modern day superheroes and see that inherently it's it's kind of we're we're talking about these same narratives just in a different way a hundred percent i mean what you're talking about is modern mythology in our era right and and for a kid growing up you're looking to heroes and gods and i was raised Jewish and Catholic. And I went to Catholic school, but then also was, you know, having Seder. And at at a time, I mean, I was, I started out as an altar boy because for me being an altar boy allowed me to one, get out of school, but also we got paid when we did funerals and, and, and weddings. So, you know, I'm the Jewish kid doing funerals and weddings so I can buy my comic books. I mean, it's, it's very uh, sort of poetic there as well. Um, but it was, it was a very interesting sort of growing up because my dad was very much into, um, Eastern Asian studies and and Mongolian studies and shamanism. And that was what his Mm. focus was. So he was always talking to us about shamans and he's like, you know, Jesus was a shaman and a prophet. And so I'm like growing up with this very sort of strange understanding of, well, you know, what is, what is the sort of Catholic, this mystical Catholic faith? And then also the sort of mystical Jewish faith. And where is this overlap? I mean, obviously Judaism is the sort of granddaddy of, of all the religions, all the desert religions, right? So you, you really start there. And then all of the religions basically are saying very similar things. I mean, you have Moses uh, in the Quran. I mean, this is all 
interwoven and all interconnected. And it, it really is just how we look at these stories and lens them. And unfortunately, sometimes when we get so caught up in our own narratives, our own codexes, our own boxes of books, we miss the larger picture of we're all human and trying to connect. So I think that was something for me as a kid, I saw that and I was just like, well, why do we have to look at the differences? Why can't we look at the similarities? And why can't we look at the ideologies? And why do we have to believe that, you know, there's this male figure, this God that's telling me that I'm going to hell if I do this and that. And, you know, <laughs> it's a great story, yeah. man. But yeah, like it, at the end of the day, what, what does that even mean? I mean, honestly, like I was such a literalist, like in, in third or fourth grade, like our, te- our teachers would say to us, pray every night to Jesus. He's inside of you. And I, I l- literally thought Jesus was in my belly. I would <laughs> pray to my stomach. <laughs> and then I would be a good Jew and I would pray to God. And, and, you know, so I was like trying to cover my bases. You know? yeah. <laughs> no, nothing, no, nothing was slipping through the cracks with, with your prayers. You know, you had it on. Okay. I was, I was on point, but then I really found mysticism and spirituality and like this other side to it. Magic. I was obsessed with magic and alchemy when I was 11, 12, 13. I, I thought I was, yeah, I, I found a book on alchemy at the library. Like that was all we would do every, you know, every week my mom would take us to the library and that was like our TV. We'd get our big stack of books and uh, I found this book on alchemy. I was like, this is cool, magic and alchemy. And this is what I want to do. You know, I'm an alchemist. <laughs> yeah. Which uh, amazing book. Uh, in right. The, the alchemist. Book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, well, how fascinating. And and I think you touched on something really interesting, which is how there's often, especially in a, in a polarizing climate, like you could argue is today, but I guess it's really in any generation. Um, yeah. There is a lot of focus on differences. And yet I, I have thought the same thing as a kid. It's like you have all these different big religions and yet they're all preaching. If you get down to the brass tacks, relatively some of the same things. So it's like, what's what's uniting all of these things together? What that's probably closer to the if you are searching for some sort of truth, right? Maybe look where all of these different circles intersect, and you know, I mean, it's the Venn diagram of humanity. I mean, we yeah. are searching for a truth, a universal truth of of being and an experience. And I think the reality of us, you know, it's, it's funny. I mean, I don't want to jump too far ahead. I mean, I know we're kind of bouncing around a little bit, but you know, I I've also, I mean, I was always, you know, Campbell, obviously everybody, Oh, the hero of the thousand faces and Campbell. I want, like I have this doc of Campbell. It's like a six part series. I, I just always go back to it and watch it. Tim Bill Moyers. I don't know if you've seen it. It's, it's, it's great. And, you know, but it's also funny because, you know, Campbell's on so many great things, but there's also a lot of things that, you know, I feel that he misses because he really often discredits the youth for Mm -hmm. not really having anchors. And because again, he was raised a Catholic and he then found his own path of spirituality through myth and, and through storytelling and through native myths and, um, and all these different, and, you know, Indian and, and all these different practices. Um, but, you know, that also is all based on Jung. 
right? And you've got all of the dream theories and the unconscious and the anima and animus and the collective, you know, <laughs> unconscious, subconscious, all that stuff. And, you know, the Spider-Man series that we've been doing, I mean, that is absolutely my homage to Young and Campbell and dream theory. Um, yeah. It's it's all about modern mythology and about how Spider-Man ultimately has to kill himself. He has to kill the hero in order to destroy the ego and to be able to let himself go so that he can pass the stories on to the next generation. And that's, Wow. That's the that's the story in a nutshell. I mean, obviously, it's trapped. It it's it's got all the trappings of a Marvel sure. superhero story. Sure. Um, and Juan Ferreira is just this incredible artist who just captured everything beyond I could even imagine. I mean, you know, I and that's the beauty of it. I mean, I've been very blessed to to be working with Taboo, you know, on our our creative journey connecting in uh, native mythologies and being able to be that conduit taking native myths, taking native storytelling and, and really bridging that into, uh, into opportunities for new writers and new creatives that come from native and first nations backgrounds to take characters that we've been creating and ultimately expound on them and build on them and, and, and weave that into the, the Marvel narrative. I mean, that's, that's wow. the goal. I mean, that's really the goal that Tab and I've been doing. I mean, I look at it as platform building. I mean, that's what we always talk about is really, uh, finding ways to to give those opportunities by creating new characters like Jake Gomez in our Werewolf by Night series, um, this new character Crystal Katani uh, in in uh, the the Spider Man the Deadly Neighborhood Spider Man series, and you'll see that she becomes a very important character in uh, issue five, which comes out um, you know very soon. Uh, I think it's the end of this month, but I know I don't want to date this uh, podcast, but <laughs> sure, 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 sure. But uh, let's make it evergreen. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, so anyway, but I mean, you know that that to me is what I love in storytelling is finding ways to weave in the spiritual narratives, these sort of unconscious narratives, these connections to mythologies that all sort of have touch points of creation stories and. Uh, connection to nature and connection to ourselves. And that's mm. my goal is finding the way to sort of translate it into a new sort of medium um, being, you know, whether it's comic books or, you know, sort of or modernize it, I guess. I don't know. I mean, I just, it's funny because when I'm writing, I mean, I feel very much like I'm just chronicling something that's coming through me. I'm not mm. really creating it. I feel like it's not, I mean, it is, but it's not. I mean, I remember when, you know, we had to come up with a pitch for Kashala and I was like, all right, well, what are we going to do with this one? You know, we, and I, at the time I didn't even, you know, we didn't have Dr. Doom as our villain. And I was trying to think of like, what, what is the story I want to tell about this, this, you know, she's a sorcerer Supreme and she's a ghost rider. And what is, what is that story I want to tell? And then all of a sudden I just was like walking with my son and I saw, Hollywood and LA all underwater. And I just like saw like the freaking Hollywood sign, but it was, it wasn't, it was just the top. You saw water and then you saw these cubes, but they were all equally spaced apart. And you're like, well, what are those cubes? And then, and I pictured it cause it was this, it's infinity comic. And I was like, as you scroll, you realize that the cubes are the top of the Hollywood sign. And the whole thing is underwater and that she's basically melted the ice caps because she's this ghost rider and so wow. anyway i mean yeah crazy 
crazy stories, man. So, but I, again, man, it's it's really cool to one get more insight into sort of the influences that you have creatively and and sort of the bedrock you could say of that uh philosophical mystic uh, yeah. <laughs> you, you, you know mind and then also the magic. the magic yeah exactly and and it sounds like part of that process is is also just letting like you're transmuting more than you're creating perhaps i i absolutely think that is the case i mean alchemy i guess in some ways is really that right i mean you're you're taking these different elements and turning them into something entirely different just like chemistry i mean it's funny to think back i never even thought of it i mean chemi is is a uh, you know arabic word and that's where chemistry came from and it also was the beginnings of alchemy i mean that was so I guess in some way I never stopped being a chemist. I guess I just mm. changed my chemistry. <laughs> Which right. And so in many ways then too that early uh path if you will to you know it it, it is all relevant and has kind of helped shape the ingredients or has helped be a part of the ingredients that have led to everything we've just talked about. Which yeah. on that trajectory. So you've you've gone through to school you've you know made your first uh started making your films uh you've you've nailed nailed in that that filmmaking writing comic book writing that is the path having gone through uh perhaps a more scientific uh <laughs> <laughs> journey initially what was the first sort of experience or moment that you had that validated that making that decision was the right one for you so when I got the filming equipment to go and shoot, I remembered, I was like, well, all right, cool. I can make all these little fun short films with, you know, my friends and my family and, you know, my college roommates and whatever. But what is the thing? Like, how do I, how do I make something a little bit more? How do I really cut my teeth? And my cousin sent me like randomly, sent me this like blog bulletin. This was like, I want to say 1999 um, of, Columbia College, and it was just all these postings. And I saw one production assistance needed for documentary film. And I was like, cool. Or is interns needed? It wasn't even production assistance, it was like interns needed. I was like, all right, I, I, I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm just going to submit my name to these folks who are doing some documentary, and I have no idea what it is. And I, I sent that in and I, I connected up with uh, this guy, Constantine Valhuli and his sister, Christina. And they were doing a documentary on plus size modeling. And they had already been shooting for a bit. And I was like, well, I've got, I've got this camera. And at that time, actually, I bought an XL1S because I had done a job that had paid for the XL1S. It was like, all right, man, I'm like, I can do pro stuff now. I feel confident, like, whatever. <laughs> so... I joined up with them. They were up in New York and I started shooting around like B-roll stuff on this documentary. So the documentary finished. It got accepted to some film festivals and we went to Newport Film Festival and, you know, it didn't win anything, I don't, I don't think. But, you know, it got some recognition. And from that, we said, let's go make it. Let's go make a documentary about comic books. And this was the first time where it was like really just me and Constantine and... Uh, 
this woman, Catherine Schuler, who was our sort of executive producer, uh, who she was the widow of Mark Grunwald. If you know Marvel Comics, Mark Grunwald was uh, from Marvel. And then Peter Sanderson, who uh, at the time, well, he, he had been Marvel's historian. So this was my first introduction really into comics, like in the professional sense. So I started going and getting to interview all of these comic book creators. This was 2000, 2001. And this wow. was before comic book movies blew up. This was like way – so I'm interviewing Frank Miller, Chris Claremont, Stan Lee. Well, I didn't get to interview Stan on that one. Um, but, you know, uh, Jimmy Pomiati and Amanda Connor. I mean, John Byrne, Peter David. I mean, the list was incredible. I mean, we, we got in with every single person. Um, and, and it was just this really incredible experience. I mean, it wasn't paid. I mean, I was just shooting the whole thing. Uh, I was traveling all over New York and Connecticut and, you know, all over the East coast. And then I edited the film in my bedroom while going to school during the day. So it was like college in the day, edit the film at night, uh, <laughs> you know, skip wow. classes to go to New York on the train to the Greyhound. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, yeah. The, it's the filmmakers, you know, <laughs> like, yeah, I was doing it at night, man. Um, so the, we finished the film, uh, it screened at the New York film anthology archives. And it was just that moment of seeing the film that was crafted in my bedroom on a giant screen. And my parents were there. And I remember my dad came up at, and he said, I get why you like comic books. And I understand that these guys and gals that are writing and drawing comic books and making, you know, making these stories that you love are really intelligent people and really care about their craft. So I get it. Like it was, and it was funny because when I was making that film, I was really thinking about, I'm making this for my parents in a weird way. It was like, I'm making this for my parents. And when they watch it, they understand why I love comics and why I love movies. But at the end of the day, really what, what inspired me to, to love comics at such a young age. And I never thought that I was going to be a Marvel writer. I mean, I, it wasn't like, oh, I'm going to go off and, you know, laser focus, going to be Marvel writer. At the time, I was like, I'm going to be a filmmaker. And I met Larry Cohen at, my, at the premiere of our documentary. And Larry Cohen, who did It's Alive at the time, he was uh, in town doing Phone Booth, if you remember that movie from back in the day. Mm -hmm. uh, Colin Farrell. Colin Farrell, Larry. yeah, yeah. Yeah, so Larry wrote Phone Booth. And uh, Larry said, hey, kid. Um, I want to see your doc. Give me this back. Print a VHS for me and I'll watch it. So I sent him a VHS <laughs> and uh, he watched it and he said, hey, uh, we got a screening of uh, It's Alive up at the Lincoln Center. Come up and watch the movie with me. I want to talk to you about making a picture together. And I was like, wow. Okay. Wow. I'm 21, 22 years old. I was like, I'm Robert Rodriguez. I did it. <laughs> you know? I was like, I, I thought at that time, you know, I was, I was on Robert's trajectory, right? I was like, yeah, I'm going to be doing El Mariachi. Yeah. Well, here comes my uh, Desperado. Um, yeah. You know, <laughs> but uh, what happened was Larry sent me two scripts. Uh, this one called Captivity. I loved because I saw how I could do it and we could shoot a very low budget. Um, and at the time I was interning in, in Philadelphia at a, a television production company called Banyan doing reality TV. And Larry was like, Hey, uh, let's go make this picture. So I said, all right, I'm moving to New York. I had no idea how I was going to live there and had no idea how I was going to pay the bills. I just figured I put it out there. And, uh, yeah, this woman I was working with, 
Um, Suzette, she said, hey, I got this apartment that I can sublet if you really are looking to move. Um, it's opening up in January. And uh, this was probably like November or October. And I said, I'll take it. And it was like $830 a month, okay? In 23rd and 8th. I don't know if, you know, in Chelsea, right in the heart sure, of Manhattan. Sure, It was like, what? Here I am, 22 years old, 23, like going, all right, I'm moving to New York. It's happening. We're going to make a movie. Like, life is on track, man. This is this is going the right direction. Um, but, uh, you know, as life does, uh, we never made the picture. Um, Larry ended up selling the script to uh, Mark Damon and uh, Alicia Cuthbert stars in it. And you can go pick it up at your local video store if you still have one. No, I'm just over <laughs> here in Burbank. Um, that's another story. But uh, but yeah, it, it, it wasn't the movie I wanted to make. Uh, that's for sure. But it showed me that I was on the right track. That's what it Got showed it. me. So, so it validated sort of the early efforts and demonstrated, as you said, you know, this is, you had, you had made the right choices to get to where you were going. Yeah. That's, that's the law. I gave you the long version. Thank you. Those, those details are necessary though. You know, we need, we need the, uh, the color and the, uh, the experience because within that is, is the the high the low and 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 also all through it is perseverance and I think what yeah. what the nugget that I that that at least I'm taking from it is is you know following your interests pursuing what you want to pursue and you, you know you kind of said it you're like I didn't know how I was going to make it happen and I think it's when you, when you take those steps in life that are aligned with what you're supposed to be doing whatever you know we call it purpose those things. The, the rent, uh, the sublet appears, you know, and, it and does. Even, if the, even if the end goal doesn't rock, it's still, you know, it's still helping move you forward. Well, I, I think that's, that's really been my, my sort of mantra in life that things will work out somehow if I just put my head and towards where I'm going. Like if I face in the direction I feel is calling me, um, it'll work out and, and some door will open or there will be an opportunity that will show me, okay, this is the right path. This is the right direction. I mean, again, it is, it is the, the fool's journey. I mean, that's the journey of the tarot. You are on this strange journey of highs and lows that you go through and heartbreak and, and then get back up again. And I mean, that is the story we all have depending on where, how far we take it. And it's up to us. Where do we want to stop on that journey or do we want to just continue on knowing that if we just push a little further, we'll get to those, you know, to those moments that ultimately give us everything that we could ever have dreamed of and more. Exactly. Exactly. You, you have the experience with Larry and, and uh, it, it kind of validates that you made the right choice you, to pursue the path that you were pursuing. Flash forward a little bit. You know, you're now a working writer, a working filmmaker. What was the first, you know, aha moment that now everything's running as, you know, perhaps you envisioned it or, or dreamed about it, but what, what was the sort of turning point where you realize, hey, this is, this is my life? I mean, you know, we, we define our lives, especially as creative, we define our lives by, by projects. 
so often, right? We, we look at, because we have so many projects. As a, as a writer, as a filmmaker, as a producer, whatever, you know, we want to kind of put our, our, our label. Um, we look at, okay, what was that project that got me here? What was that project that sort of got me into the level where before I wasn't at that level? And to be honest, the project that really put me there was when Will I Am trusted me to take a story that he had uh, incepted with this other writer, um, and it was uh, it was the time it was called Zombie Nation, but uh, it became Masters of the Sun. And I met with Will through a mutual friend, and it was just one of those moments where we're just kind of riffing for like half an hour and I'm showing him different comics and, and I had never written a comic. I had been developing and producing comics for TV and film with a, with a, one of the big indie publishers. Um, I had already developed and built this comic book Sunday community that at the time was still pretty, pretty big. I mean, we had 2010 was sort of the peak when we were at San Diego comic-con uh, with a giant panel that we filled the room with. And uh, so I went in there confidently, but also really sort of a bit, I won't say hesitantly, because I, I was confident I knew I could do it. I just knew, because I'd just come off editing a feature film. And it was my very first feature, and that's another fun story, where it was like, have you ever edited a feature before? This is Corbin Burns that I worked with. And I was like, yeah, I have, uh, which I had, but it wasn't like, the sort of feature that we were going into, which was like sure. a big movie with big actors and, you know, script notes and all that fun stuff. It was more on the, I mean, this was still an indie film, but it was, uh, so I had felt that confidence of going and delivering that movie, right? Going in and going, all right, well, I've never done this before, but I know I can do it. Went in, delivered the movie. It's, called Christian Mingle. Um, it was on Netflix and all I mean, right. Stay in tune with my sort of strange spiritual journey connected to my oscillation between Judaism and Christianity. <laughs> um, but it was just that, that confidence I felt like, okay, yeah, I can do this. Like I know comic books, I know storytelling, I just finished a film and here's Will saying, you know, can, can you make this, a reality. And I said, yeah. And he's like, well, what do you need? And well, what does anyone need when they need to do something? You need money. Um, you need to hire people. You need to, <laughs> you need to also get paid yourself. Uh, and I said to Will, I said, look, you know, I just need a budget to make the project happen and uh, I'll figure it out. I've got some, some great artists that I think I can pull into this project and uh, let's see what happens. So uh, I really just kind of threw it out there. I never thought it was going to happen. I'll be honest. I really, you know, the lawyers went back and forth, negotiated the deal. It actually was a relatively quick negotiation. Um, and next thing I know, um, I'm off to the races. And that's a story unto itself because that was, you know, uh, a really interesting project that, that ultimately got published by Marvel. I mean, that was... Mm. That was that moment, right? Like, what? When? When do you know that you entered the big leagues? Like, when? Mm -hmm. When do you know that you just got called up from the bench to, to you know, or called up from the farm league to join the, you know, the real teams, the big yeah. teams? <laughs> and that was the project. I mean, that was that moment of okay, I'm, I'm doing it. Like, this is for real. Like, I know that I have the caliber to be able to deliver at that level. Um, and and I know that I I 
come hell or high water, I'm going to just keep doing it. And whatever those next projects are, and it'll, it'll just, it'll find its way. So that was, that was our project. So, I mean, I have to give a big shout out to Will for, for, uh, you know, having faith in this kid that had really never written a comic book before, but knew that he could. <laughs> and I did. And now I am. And what do you think he saw in you that that really provided the confidence to him that that you could get the job done? I mean, I, I don't know. Will's Will's a a really you know he's a unique guy. He's a really smart guy, and he's a really sort of intuitive person. Hmm. And I think we when we met. We both have sort of this ADHD energy as you probably can tell <laughs> off on going off on tangents and getting caught up in things. And then I'm like, ooh, shiny squirrel over there, you know. Um, so there was that sort of energy that we had together. And it was a creative energy that we we were present with. And he saw that I knew what I was talking about. And I told him, I said, I, I, I can make this happen you know, we'll, we'll figure this out. And, uh, I don't know. He took a chance. I mean, it's, it's one of those crazy stories, right? Where there's, there's that time where someone just takes a chance. I mean, what did Larry Cohen see? You know, I mean, he saw that I could do a documentary. I mean, he knew that I could go and I mean, Larry was just an independent filmmaker who just would go off and pick up a camera and go make movies. I mean, in that, I guess I've always been drawn to people that, that, uh, sort of have that same sort of mentality of let's just go and do it. Um, right. So, I mean, I think that was, that was really the moment, you know, it was, it was that same. And then that other side of it, like how I started this all <laughs> was the moment signing Stan Lee, you know, signing my name on a book that I gave to Stan with, with Will and Tab and Apple. That was a really incredible moment. I mean, it's just like, wow, like here's this guy that I, always looked up to as being this godfather of comic books of modern comics and what i always aspired in some way to to sort of be a part of and and to connect with and and here i am him saying you know it's hey can you guys sign my comic yeah wow man i mean just you know like that's that moment of like okay i'm here like right we're doing this so yeah (laughs) That's, that's super cool. That's super cool. And, and, and yeah, it's, it's like, you're, I, I'm not pushing Stan as a hero on you, but it's like, you're where else? It, it, I mean, that's, that's the, yeah. the pinnacle of, you know, somebody uh, it's, it's a, it's a really cool moment on, on that tip then, you know, so, so you've, you've established yourself in the field, you're pursuing the path you want to pursue that feels aligned with sort of all of the, uh, moments and experiences that have led up to that point uh how how'd you get to web three ha well that's a funny that's a funny story so it does connect to masters of the sun in a strange way um i mean as you know will is it is a very tech oriented sort of person and my own self being uh being a technical filmmaker you know as a film editor you are you know and and camera but I, I'm a like editor, like that's this, the craft of, of filmmaking that I come from. You're working with computers. I mean, that's it. We're not cutting film anymore. So I was always like 
fingers in that space. I mean, I was in an, I worked for an early internet company in 1999. We were doing oh, web wow. streaming. We were doing video streaming in 1999. I was the one in charge of the video production office, figuring out compression and decompression. You know, like it was, it was early on understanding the sort of what is the scope of the internet. And I, I always sort of, look i don't want to say look down on it i was like i want to make movies that are on big screens i didn't want to go into the youtube world of it all i was just that was not i was a filmmaker you know like it was what i was meant to do so but i've always been tech adjacent i've always understood technology um i've always known how to like even get into a computer and build it and rebuild it and, and install hard drives <laughs> like i had to do this, you know, and, and do all that kind of stuff. And I had worked for a company called Millennium Films for many years as, a, as an independent contractor on the editorial side. Um, my main job was, was really uh, constructing the stock footage library, all the assets. Uh, the last project I did there was a film called Search and Destroy that was 60% stock footage. So this all ties together. I'm not completely off on a tangent <laughs> because... At the time, uh, we had just done Masters of the Sun. Masters of the Sun had an AR component and a VR component. I worked very closely with the VR team on sort of building out the storytelling um, with them. Uh, the AR component was basically, uh, it was a company called, I think it was called Trigger that did it. Uh, they did an incredible job of, of the project. Uh, my buddy Sean was the project lead on that. And they just did an amazing job. And I was just, wow, like, what we can do with this sort of transmedia. We were so ahead of the curve at that time. This was 2017. So it didn't really get the shine that it could have. I mean, it did. I mean, TechCrunch did a piece. You know, it was like, you know, media-wise, there was a lot of media coverage. You can Google it, right? Masters of the Sun, AR. Uh, there's an interview and I'm there with Vulture and I look terrible. God, just look at my Afro there. Um, <laughs> anyway. Yeah. God, those are the bad old days of, of uh, drinking until two in the morning. I've since become sober. So, you know, I look back on that and I was like, that was the old Ben. Um, but, but what it, it showed me was the power of technology again to when I was first starting out and going, wow, I can have a camera and I can have my editing gear, Final Cut, and I can edit a movie in my in, in my bedroom. Um, and here is AR and VR and all these new components and how we can bring them all together. So Masters of the Sun finished. Um, we were going to do Masters of the Sun 2. Uh, ended up just not working out. But at the time, I was still at Millennium Films. So this is where it weaves in. Uh, at, and, and Millennium Films, I have been talking to them uh, a lot about wanting to do television. And one of my good friends, Ruslan, um, who was the head of the marketing department, he was just getting into all the blockchain and crypto. And I was aware of blockchain. I had gone to some sort of class on it or something presented, uh, you know, from a music perspective, for whatever reason, I, I don't it was just like a, a strange little thing of like, oh, this would be interesting. I want to understand what this is about. And Ruslan was like, man, we should do an ICO for, for the Undisputed. We should, we should raise a ton of money and just go make the TV series for ourselves. And I was like, wow, that, that sounds incredible. I mean, like, okay. And we got a lot of great support from, uh, from uh, the son of, of the owner of Millennium Films, Yareev. Uh, he really saw the, the, the future of that. And I got to give him credit for that. And, 
you know, really, really got behind us. And, and it was then that also side of looking at Masters of the Sun and saying, well, hey, what if we do a comic book, build it into an AR app, and then that AR app is actually a game. And that when you play the game, you own the NFTs. Like this was mm-hmm. 2018. So we were like talking about gaming and NFTs and world building and metaverse, like massive metaverse game building in 2018 with interoperability of how we would bring it from, you know, this lightweight AR game and your character that you could then carry over into a large sort of Grand Theft Auto game. And, you know, I was always sort of pushing us, let's get it right first on the smaller scale. Let's get it into this sort of, uh, you know, this where you can scan it and see how it works. And so we, we actually, and I don't know, let me see if I can, I can show you. So these are, we actually made physical coins. These are blanket wow. cash. So this is undisputed was the, the project we were doing. So these were minted. This is cryptocurrency. We actually were, we were going to launch it. This is the ICO and you would actually get a physical coin. This is the silver one and I have a gold one as well. And this is the prototype. This is the very first one. So I have one of the few prototypes of the... Uh, cool. So the Bulgarian mint actually minted these. Wow. So, so it was a crazy project. Super, super ahead of the time, man. I mean, 2018, I'm at Comic-Con showing people this uh, at the Wired Cafe Lounge where everyone, you know, is supposed to be tech savvy. And I'm going, hey, check out this cool blockchain project we're building. This is the future. NFTs and gaming. And, you know, nobody was calling it Web3. This was like this was cryptocurrency and ICOs, which in the reality was still late. I mean, you know, blockchain and crypto had been around for some time. So we didn't think we were too ahead of it. And ICOs at the time were really popping off. But unfortunately, there was that bear market that hit in 2018 and everybody took a a shellacking on it. And uh, the project sort of, you know, it went away. And I put a pin in all that. And I said, I got to really focus on what I can do right now. I got to really focus on traditional storytelling in Hollywood and and in the space that I I know best. And I would love it to, at some point, be able to bridge these two worlds together. Um, So that that was where that sort of happened. And then I got another opportunity, um, randomly pulled in by, cause I was talking about on clubhouse. You remember those days? Yeah. yeah. Um, so my buddy, Dimitri Vegas, who's a, a big DJ, I kept telling Dimitri, I was like, dude, future is, is NFTs, blockchain music. Like this is the future. Like, and this is before Steve Aoki had jumped on the blockchain train and, and was doing all his stuff. I was telling Dimitri about all this and we did like a little clubhouse you know, and talked about NFTs and music and, and, and all this This was back in 2020. Um, this before, this is before the pandemic, I think, um, or maybe it was during anyway. And then he introduced me to some folks and we launched a project called the Chihuahua. So that was really my (laughs) jump off into just knee deep in it. Let's go, let's make some cartoon NFTs and, you know, get into this, Web three, Web two point five, whatever we're calling it, I don't know. Web, you know, but uh, yeah, storytelling, man, that's it, dude. So, in many ways, then it's one one of the cool things I heard you say was was how you were bridging those two worlds of traditional Hollywood and and you know crypto Web three. Yeah, and in many ways, you could say it's kind of akin to what you were talking about earlier of bringing different types of voices and different types of stories into yeah. traditional Hollywood. It's just same thing, relating storytelling to a different slant, a different avenue. 
Man, you nailed it. It's it's funny. I mean, you know, <laughs> I have so many projects and so many different things I'm working on, but they're all like a web, all interrelated, and they're all connected in one way or another. There's a thread tying them all together. I mean, I mean, I'm, I have a call tonight on, on my AI project. Um, so yeah, my fingers are in everything from blockchain and NFTs to machine learning to writing Marvel comics making cartoons, directing another documentary right now on, on hip hop. So yeah, I, to me, it's all storytelling. And ultimately the stories I want to tell are the stories that are, are the ones that don't get heard. And mm-hmm. I want to connect those stories to the human experience, spirituality, and our, our deeper connection to community as a whole. And, you know, not the buzzy community that often gets thrown around in the, you know, Web3 and blockchain NFT space of, you know, when moon and we're a community. And, you know, it's, it's really about how do we look at the similarities of who we are in our human experience and, and appreciate each other's cultures and appreciate each other's religions, music, whatever it is. We don't have to look at someone being other and, and, and loving something and say, well, you're other and that scares me. Mm-hmm. Um, it should be, you know, your other, and I want to learn more about it. You have an other. It should never be an it. And I was just watching, you know, going back to Campbell. It's, you know, we need to look at each other as thous and not its. That's how wars happen. That's how death and murder and destruction. That's how the bad side of humanity it it, it comes to light when we look at its, and because we dehumanize and we de we we take it out of nature, hmm. and instead we need to put it back into nature. We need to look at ourselves as a as a uh, cohesive ecosystem. Just uh, right, and and each individual is just a piece of the larger collective. And I mean, that's young, man. I mean, that's the unconscious. We're all connected through our 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 collective unconscious. It's a, it's a big it's a big human tapestry. And the unknown. And, yes, and and to your point, you know, not in the buzzwordy community, but I think. What a what an interesting way in which terms have converged on the word community in the quote unquote future of the internet, whereby community is what sustains and helps, you know, hopefully progress society in some ways. And now what it means to be part of a community ideally is expanding to this global community, but with the DNA of these you know, small towns, if you will. Yes. The small town is where we all live, but we all are a part of that large picture show, you know, the big stage, (laughs) whatever's on that stage. And I think it, it, it's really, it's really about definitions and understanding the definitions. And it's also about understanding commerce and what the future of commerce really is. And commerce for the sake of exchanging ideas and commerce for the sake of exchanging, you know, energy and not to be woo woo about it. But I mean, it's, it's very much like, you know, that's why it's called currency. It is energy. You know, your money has energy. It moves. You get it for doing this. You put in physical labor, you get $15 or $20 an hour. You have a measurement. Everything is measured. And, and we live in, in a place of measurements and how do we find happiness in measurement? 
you know, it's, it's this, this idea of bliss is, is immeasurable. So um, how do you measure that? You know, how do you say, oh, if I only had a billion dollars, I can measure my happiness. I mean, that's the challenge. I mean, I, I face that every day, right? It's like, you know, we could always have more money. We could always have more things. I mean, I, I don't, I, I, for me, things are books. I love having books. My girlfriend's like, you got another book? Like, yeah, <laughs> you know, I'm always ordering books or, or Battletech minis. Um, me and my son love to play Battletech. So, you know, but it's the things that, that give us a, a sense of, of, you know, grounding and, and connection and whatever that is. I mean, and we can't live in our books either. I mean, that's the big thing too. You can read and read and read, but if you don't take that knowledge and put it back into the world, it's, it becomes stopped. It becomes, you know, it's like a kink. You yeah. have to constantly be cycles. So that's commerce. That's, that's where the future of commerce needs to be. We need to stop kinking everything and we need to focus on these cyclical patterns that allow flow. And that's where the currency needs to come from. So mm. I hope that's the future. I mean, that, that to me would be this ideology of what Web3 could bring, right? This idea of, of a decentralized, centralized system that connects the dots between what we've come from and, and where we're going. We basically just need to clear clear out all the chakras between those. Uh... <laughs> yeah, we need to take a giant crap. I think that's it. This, the world needs an enema, man. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, be yeah, on that on that tip uh, of the future. Is there anything specific that you can talk about that you have upcoming that that you're excited to plug or you know that? Yeah, you can, absolutely. You can um, so, so wrapping this out, uh, I got a, a minting, uh, of my first ebook, uh, that will be an NFT book, uh, on the soul type platform. I love those guys, Paco and Juan, that whole crew, uh, soul type is a, a, they're on the Solana blockchain. Um, and, uh, it's, it's a book called Riglin. Uh, that's, we could do a whole podcast on that about how the story came about and my son named the character. And again, it goes back to the full circle of this is a father son story. And it was a story I originally was starting to develop to write about me and my dad. Um, but uh, it was written about me and my son here, who is, uh, this is my boy. This is this is Liam, who is also the creator of Riglin. Awesome. Yeah, when he was four or five. He, was it four or five? I don't know. He, uh, yeah. He said, I said, what should we name our character? And he said, Riglin. So there you go. So March 1st. We're minting on SoulType, and uh, you can you can check it out. It's just I think SoulType.io uh, backslash Riglin. Awesome. So that's coming up, and yeah, follow me on on Instagram. Follow me on uh, Bureau Writer, uh, LinkedIn, uh, Bureau, and uh, I'm on Twitter there too, uh, Bureau Writer. I'm mostly just retweeting stuff on Twitter. Uh, <laughs> I'm like, oh, someone liked our Spider-Man thing. Someone liked our you know, retweet. So. Awesome. That's about it. Well, Beat, thank you very much for, for the time and, and really appreciate the introspective chat and uh, going to all corners of the, the, the atmosphere and the galaxy with, with this one. So really appreciate it. And, uh, you know, again, thank you. Steve or Steven, B or Ben, right? <laughs> we, we all have our, our names, our call signs. Uh, I really appreciate it. I really appreciate it. This has been a really fun one because it's it's really the first time I've sort of gotten a to unpack a lot of the scope that I, I love to talk about and create and, and, you know, ultimately who I am and where I'm going and, and, you know, what I, I hope people get to know about me as a creative. That's, that's what I like to put out there. And I hope my work, my body of work, uh, you know, supports that.
Uh, I think it does. And and yeah, it, it's, uh, that's the aim of these chats. So the fact that it resonates with you too is, uh, is a good thing. Absolutely. Thank you so much, man. You got it. Thanks for listening to another episode of Lights, Camera, Crypto, a podcast produced by Matt Bogart and Decentral Media. Music by Brian Duncan and Kareem Imes. If you enjoyed this experience, be sure to rate and subscribe to our show and to follow at Sladen and at Decentral Media for additional content.